All right, everybody. I don't know how many of you are reading along with us and following the book with us. But even if you don't have it, fortunately, we can read through each of them and go deep. But if you do have your book, it'll be helpful. And I hope, you know, just you're kind of tuning in and creating some little marker points for yourself so you can return back. Because the book is, you know, the Gita is such as any scripture, any powerful book. There are just certain things that uh, are helpful for us to return to again and again. Uh, if you've realized in the 33 classes that we've been flowing through, I mean, it's fascinating, the book in itself, but there's just, I mean, Krishna is really asking us to experience everything he's saying. He really expects us not to just read this book like a storybook and say, oh, wow, wasn't that beautiful? Oh, weren't those words, words just fabulous? But he's really expecting of us, you know, when he says Arjuna, he's really talking to you, he's talking to me. And so I hope as you go through this book, you feel that responsibility here. Uh, picking up the Gita in itself should be seen as a responsibility, not just as a, as a balm to soothe your troubled mind in that moment, but really as, ah, okay, what am, what am I supposed to be doing right now? So let's see what Krishna would like us to do and focus on perhaps this coming week. Chapter 9, as I said, it's called The Sovereign Lord of All. And verse 1, The Blessed Lord said, To you, you, who have overcome the carping spirit, I now reveal the sublime mystery, which is the imminent and transcendent nature of God. Armed with this intuitive wisdom, you shall escape all evil. The first verse itself, Krishna is kind of expecting something of us, isn't he? To you who have overcome the carping spirit, I now reveal the sublime mystery. So first question is, have we overcome the carping spirit? What is the carping spirit? The carping spirit, this tendency that each of us hold to a certain degree or the other, is of fault finding and of petty complaints. You know, it's not a, it's actually not a big thing. It's not, it's not a person who's wholly negative or, you know, just is really hard to be around. The carping spirit is just this petty complaint, simple chota mota, and these fault-finding tendencies. It's to the person who says, yes, but, ah, isn't this beautiful, but if only. And this, it's different from doubts, you see, because here Arjuna has a lot of doubts. He's got a lot of, you know, how do I do this, how do I do that, but the doubt suggests, if done in the right way especially, it suggests that there's an interest to learn. I want to know, Krishna, what should I do? Yes, I, I know this, but I really would like to know. Whereas the carping spirit, this yes, but is a very close thing. It already closes you to any further kind of wisdom, any further grace, because you kind of say, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, God's everywhere, but... Yeah, I'm supposed to love everyone, but... <laughs> and so that's the carping spirit. So when Krishna is... 
chapter 9 can only be revealed <laughs> to he who has overcome the carping spirit so already we're like we're falling a little short aren't we but that's okay but this is what i mean by underline this word you know so that when you read this chapter it's that's the part you won't even think about we're like so interested in oh what's this sublime mystery we're not interested in which in the fact that krishna is saying ah to you who has overcome this, this carping spirit because arjuna has overcome this carping spirit arjuna isn't saying krishna yes i i agree with you 100% but you see i have this and i have that because only that but exists when your mind is already made up when that openness to divine grace doesn't exist so that's an important aspect and all of us have that this little fault finding this little tendency of kind of dropping in certain complaints again and again just saying like ah you know everything's good but and so that's something that all of us need to introspect a little bit about and see okay what is it that krishna cannot reveal to me if i have this particular tendency in me because he says only then it is because you have overcome the carping spirit i now you see krishna has been preparing arjuna these eight chapters how has he been preparing arjuna he's been testing arjuna he's been throwing you know bouncers and yorkers and he's throwing like really kind of like very hard subjects at us you know i mean from the very beginning he's telling arjuna yeah yeah don't worry you should be you know don't worry about killing your uncles and your aunts and your whoever because nobody really dies now right then and there somebody would say yes but in this particular case krishna they are actually going to really be in lot of pain and i'm going to have to but nowhere along these eight chapters has arjuna negated everything krishna has said arjuna has asked for krishna to build on tell me more krishna how can i do more of this ah but i'm unable to understand this can you now give it to me from this side he's not in any way rejecting a single word of krishna's and that's where these eight chapters i hope or these eight stages of our own journey till now on the spiritual path has brought us now krishna says acha ye ladka sahi hai <laughs> i've been throwing really difficult things at him and not once has he said yes krishna but he's been accepting and he's been opening even more and more and more so that's now what we need to just look at because it's not krishna through the gita alone it's krishna through every circumstance speaking to us and where in my own life do i have the yes but and where do i draw that line beyond which i say is is ke aage i'm i don't you know i won't handle it or oh, that person till that point only or oh, that situation till that point only and i reveal the sublime mystery i love the words that they use is and it's sublime sublime is the the highest the most excellent the most supreme mystery and what is this mystery that krishna can reveal to us who have overcome the carping spirit spirit and this mystery is that of the imminent and transcendent nature of god what is the imminent and transcendent this is the dual kind of expression of the divine we've talked about it before krishna has touched on it before but he's decided we need a whole chapter dedicated to it imminent is 
God in creation, kind of pervading, pervading all creation, immanent in it, exists with the in. And transcendent is, exists beyond. So there's two aspects to God. And this is the chant that we were singing, wasn't it? Narayani also touched upon, thou and I never apart. It's like, there's no moment where there's not God. He's in it. He's in every atom. He's in this carpet we're sitting on. He's in the clothes that we're wearing. He's in, you know, <laughs> the breath that flows through us. Yet, there is a transcendent nature to him where he's just completely beyond it all. And that's a very contradictory reality for the minds and especially for the ego to realize because the ego cannot think of itself as transcendent the ego can only think of itself as imminent so the imminent part were still you know more able to digest armed with this intuitive wisdom you shall escape all evil so this is an understanding krishna believes and is saying if you understand this dichotomy of god's existence then you will escape all evil you'll escape and remember what we talked about evil being evil being that downward pulling energy that naturally draws us into delusion verse 2 the way to this realization is the highest of sciences and the secret of secrets the essence of all dharma so this is what krishna just by sharing with us what is God's true nature, what does the sovereign Lord of all really represent? He says, knowing this, you will know the secret of all secrets, you will know the essence of all dharma, and this is the highest of all sciences. Through yoga methods, easy to perform, we may not believe him on this one, this way bestows the direct perception of truth. Through yoga methods, easy to perform. Now, on one hand, yoga is actually fairly easy. Sitting down, closing your eyes, straightening your spine. I mean, you know, I know it's also quite difficult. But I was just going through some of Swami's, um, uh, what's the word, expansions on this comment, on this verse. And he was kind of talking about that word easy. He says, because we think the human interest is for ease. You know, what's the easiest way? And for some reason, we think just suffering is easier than practicing a little bit of meditation, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of right action, a little bit of right attitude. You know, I, it's like, okay, here's an easy way. Why don't you just sit for like 15 minutes? And for some reason, that's just so hard that we're willing to actually go through great suffering, confusion, doubt, you know, just not knowing kya karna hai, rather than sitting for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. So Swamiji was really kind of marveling at that word easy because in fact, the yogic path is so easy. Yet we don't choose it and we choose the familiar suffering and the familiar confusion. And uh, that's a very, very, um, I'm sure the saints must find that very bewildering. And when I was just thinking about it, because these are things you don't really uh, tend to 
pay very much attention to. And I was like, wow, <laughs> even I would choose so often to suffer and not understand what's going on than just to do some of these simple things that the masters have given us. But oh well, men who lack faith and even interest in this dharma, seeking their fulfillment elsewhere, do not attain me, O scorcher of foes, Arjuna. Again and again, they take the path of samsara and mortality. So this again and again is also part of this entire process. That's an important thing for us to accept. Okay, you're not interested in going this direction, then just be ready for the again and again. Because it is in fact through that endless suffering that eventually we'll say there has to be an easier way. And that's when we choose yoga. See, so for those of us who have resistance to yoga, who say yes, but, who still have the carping spirit to these yogic sciences, just like, okay, thoda or the, the rounds, there are a few more rounds that we have to go in the ring before we are ready to get out. I, the eternally unmanifested, pervade the entire universe. All creatures abide in me though I abide not in them. This is another very interesting verse to me because Krishna is essentially saying, I am in everything or, or everything is in me, but I am not in them. Which doesn't sound quite right, isn't it? That of course Krishna is in everything, of course God's in everything. And we were just talking about how God is at the very center of all creation. But here Krishna really means that while I embrace and I exist and everything exists in me, my presence in them is not going to be apparent to anybody. And that's the greatest delusion and that's the greatest trick that God has played on us. Being eternally present, I mean, it's like he's right here. Not just here, but here and here. It's just, and yet, we just have no idea where he is. And that's the wisdom that Krishna is trying to bestow on us. How can God be everywhere and yet we just can't see him, perceive him, understand him, hear him, pay attention to him? Even in our meditation that it's supposed to be our one time where you know we set everything aside, even then he is so hard to truly experience. And that's Maya, and that's Krishna's Maya. Behold my divine mystery. All beings seem not to exist in me, nor I in them. Yet I am their sole creator and preserver. <laughs> it's like, this is my divine mystery. <laughs> you are with me, I'm with you. You don't know that you're in me, and you don't know that I'm in you. While I'm entirely both your creator and preserver in the sense nothing happens without me not a breath in the bible it says not a leaf moves not a hair on your head is unaccounted for not a sparrow falls without his sight and can you imagine that all of this is taking place in god with god through god and none of us we it's like where are we what are we perceiving? How are we so confused about this reality? How can we be so just 
hypnotized by everything else. How can I truly believe I am I, Narayani is she, the harmonium is it. And yet we have no idea how the harmonium was created, where these atoms come from, how did they coalesce in the first place, where does sound really truly come from, what is this ether that pervades all the universe, what's this dark matter, the way science is trying to, science's way to find God is, what's this dark matter, how can I not account for the mass of this universe? Something which should be the simplest, oh this is the mass of this clock, you know, but we can't figure out how in the world does the entire universe exist in this particular state. And then we're not able to account for the divine presence, even after being so bewildered by the world. Think of it thus, as air moves through space, but is not space, so do all creatures have their being in me, but are not I. That's another interesting thing. All creatures have their being in me, but they're not me. And this is that really confusing God in creation and God beyond creation. And that's the yogic path, using God in creation. And this is the vibration of Om, as Krishna said before, by closing the gates to the body, and then abiding entirely in Om, that's the way to get to me. That's the Om vibration we talked about, perfect spirit, and then movement, and from that movement came forth everything that we see and perceive today. At the end of a cycle, Kalpa, O son of Kunti Arjuna, all beings return to the unmanifested state of my cosmic nature. At the beginning of the next great cycle, I cast them forth again. It's such an image, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> he just talked about this, of course, the day of Brahma, the night of Brahma. We had a lot of fun with the whole really esoteric, you know, light, fire, the dark side of the moon and the six months of the sun. And by reawakening again and again my own emanation, Prakriti, by reawakening again and again. So Krishna is really talking about, I mean, I don't even know what number to use. Eons, billions, trillions, quadrillions of years, if we can even kind of put it in that uh, measurement of time. Again and again, my Prakriti, again and again, I put it out there. I repeatedly produce the vast host of creatures, all subject to nature and to her finite laws. We were reading in the autobiography this chapter, won't be about astrology, in which first Yogananda, when his guru says, why don't you wear an astrological bracelet? And Yogananda says, I don't believe in astrology. And then so first Sri Yukteswar goes and talks about, no, no, these laws, these universal laws, you, everyone is governed by it. And then little by little, he starts talking about, but you don't want to be governed by it. You don't want to be stuck in it. You don't want to be defined by it. But that's who we are. We're just defined by these finite laws over and over again, because we consider the world to be such a finite reality. This is this and this is that. And I am me. And in all of that, we go to temples, we do our pujas, we even mentally know 
God is everywhere, God is everywhere, God is everywhere. But we're just so bad at actually living the fact that God is everywhere. And that's what baffles me. It's like, that's how strong our past karmic tendencies are. Knowing that God is everywhere. We're just, we act like he's nowhere. We act like he doesn't exist. We talk like he exists. We'll say beautiful things. You know, we'll read the Gita and we'll talk about, ah, you know, ah, he's just love and I just love everything. And then, you know, the next thing somebody, the carping, yes, but comes the carping spirit. A little complaint here, a little petty fault finding there. And that's it. The entire illusion of God is everywhere is immediately destroyed. Can you imagine these tiny little things we do every day? Constantly reinforcing our delusion again and again, again and again, breaking any connection we have to this wisdom just by those little things. That's all Krishna is asking us. I mean, on one hand, he is saying it's super easy. Yeah, just stop finding faults and <laughs> stop saying yes and but and stop kind of complaining. Bas, and I'll reveal this entire, I'll just reveal myself to you in its entirety. And utna bhi humse nahi hota hai. Anyway, I hope I'm not discouraging everyone in this. I myself am starting to realize like, wow, itna bhi nahi ho raha hai These activities do not bind me, O winner of wealth, Arjuna. For I, remaining aloof from them, am forever non-attached. And what's Krishna doing here? I mean, why is he telling us all these kind of seemingly vast random things that he himself is, is saying you don't even understand why he's saying this is we are a reflection of krishna we're a perfect true reflection of krishna krishna has just told you i'm in you even though i'm not quite in you so what krishna is also saying is this is how you can get to experience see we have to we have to experience that divine state right here right now not in cosmic realities, but in simple realities. What are our simple realities? I am subject to nature. I'm subject to its finite laws. I repeatedly produce all this. All of this is me and is mine. Yet, I remain aloof and non-attached. This is that experience we have to create. When we practice Hung So, the first, you know, every time we teach people meditation, it's like, they want to like, ye, ye wala humko nis, you know, watching the breath, ye humko aata hai. you know, give me the, give me that kriya, give me something higher. But that very act, the Hung So technique, watching your breath, adding the mantra into it, is the entirety of what Krishna is speaking to. How can I be completely aware of the fact that this breath is flowing through me and yet, remain completely detached from it to be able to just watch it. That is the secret. And that is also, if I reverse engineer it, that's the only way I can overcome the carping spirit. If I can just watch and observe, just as God watches and observes everything. O son of Kunti Arjuna, it is my impregnating essence alone that makes Mother Nature give birth to both the animate and inanimate. 
by my power alone through Prakriti, do the very worlds revolve. The ignorant, oblivious of my transcendent nature, though I am the creator of all, are blind also to my presence within themselves. So if we're unable to really tune into that, we're also unable to tune into this. But then, you see, we're flipping everything Krishna is saying, which he means, if you can tune into me inside you, you'll be able to tune into me as that omnipresent state of consciousness. And it means if I can tune into not just inside me, but then I have to start tuning it, tuning into Krishna inside absolutely everything. And that's the, these are the shortcuts. These are the gems of the Bhagavad Gita that if we don't put into practice, nothing's going to come out of it. But it's like, okay, all right, let me just settle that thought once more. Krishna is inside me, which means he's inside everybody else. Now I have to relate to Krishna. I have to really talk to Krishna. And I can't be, yeah, but, he's Krishna, but, you know, oh, my wife is Krishna, but. That's, those, that carping spirit is just the death of it all. Blind to all insights, vain in their aspirations, deeds, and thoughts, human beings who were made for nobler purposes, may partake of the nature of monsters and demons. So, of course, Krishna is talking about our absolute lowest states of expression. And he says, when you are blind to valid insights, we were just talking about that. Anybody, you know, is just, you just got some people, it's like, that's it. They're just blind to valid insights. Of course, they don't see them as valid, but... What can we do? Vain in their aspirations. Their aspirations are all about themselves. Even on the spiritual path, our aspirations tend to be all about ourselves. Last class, we talked about the discipleship vow, and I would just like to come back to it because it's been hitting me more and more. This, Those words, For too long, mother, have I sought you for myself not for your love. And that's, I mean, we would think, of course, we are seeking God for ourselves. I mean, to us, it should seem obvious. <laughs> but even that, Krishna is saying, even if you are vain in your aspirations, which could be whatever they are, I don't mean money and a big house and, you know, a better car, but even those divine aspirations Unfortunately, we are vain because that means it's all about us. It's not even really about God. Bhagwan, mujhe bata de. You know, that's the only thing. We're not interested in tu kisi aur ko bata hai ki nahi. Ah, it is me because I need to know and I want this experience. So they're vain in their thoughts. They're vain in their deeds. They're vain in their aspirations. And when that vanity sets in, they partake of the nature of monsters and demons. Little by little, even on the spiritual path, as the ego becomes more and more fed, the energy naturally begins to go down. Our guru would say, nobody is safe until they reach nirvikalpa samadhi, which is that state of absolute unity. He says, even in sabhikalpa samadhi, which is in your meditation, 
you lose all ego consciousness you unite entirely with god you become god can you imagine that you become god in your meditation in every word that krishna has said here you actually experience that but then when you step out of that meditation that and you come back to a, a egoic understanding of yourself that's the sabhikalpa samadhi state krishna said uh, yogananda said even from that state you have the potential to fall because as long as that i is there as long as vanity exists and he says in fact that ego is very hard to overcome because you've just experienced yourself as god and then when that experience ends you start thinking i am god imagine the saints having to deal with that the delusion that even says i am god even that's going to eventually be an obstacle on the path but we're not there yet let's just deal with let's deal with the smaller issues right now great souls however expressing in their human nature the higher qualities of divinity pay undeviating homage to me the imperishable source of all life look at that great soul so he just talked about whenever there is vanity then we partake of the nature of monsters and demons which is just that downward flow of energy great souls now this is the ulta however expressing in their human nature in their human nature the higher qualities of divinity they pay undeviating homage to me the imperishable source of all life again just krishna is just throwing these little things in there where we probably would just move over he's just saying if in your human nature just in everything that we do our nature right now as imperfect as it is and if in this you begin to express higher divine realities then you're just naturally connecting with me and higher divine realities are just again they're simple they're easy not easy to perform but at least easy to want to perform love joy <laughs> peace calmness i mean if in the middle of an argument or some little stressful situation you get calm it's like you you just had krishna you just had krishna right there with you that's when krishna would say ah now i actually abide in you up till this time you were in me but i was not yet in you the moment when somebody is down and you are able to transmit joy i mean that's it that's what krishna is really asking of us this is how little by little by little by little in your own human nature if you introduce higher divine realities then you are offering yourself entirely to me because there is no vanity enjoy when you are happy you don't think about why you are happy you're not thinking about yourself what well, i mean and i'm talking about joy i'm not talking about the little happiness that sometimes comes it's only when we're unhappy that we ask all these questions why am i unhappy why am i suffering why me why me you know like but when there's joy is like there's no there's no question you never think about yourself when you're in joy you never think about yourself when you're deeply calm and those are divine realities these are the eight aspects our guru would say to attune to in everything that you do joy love wisdom 
Wisdom here is pure discrimination, power, which is a lot of energy. If you can increase the flow of energy, you will automatically not think of yourself too much. It's when your energy is low that you think about yourself all the time. So power and energy, peace, calmness, light, and sound. Sound here, of course, means being in the Om vibration. So, I know, maybe these eight aspects can be something you can tune into during this time, but um, it's amazing how you can take these really deeply philosophical chapters, which is like, oh, I'm in you and I'm not in you, and, you know, really these confusing things. And then you realize, oh, wow, they're actually so practical. They're just telling us very, very simple you know, everyday truths. Krishna is not saying it's going to take you years of samadhi and meditation to achieve me. Oh, you overcome the carping spirit. Chalo, I'll just reveal myself to you. Anyway, <laughs> not easy to overcome the carping spirit, but you know, the bar the bar is not that high as we think it is. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's higher than we think it I'm is. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I would say well. Yeah, well, it's a better one. I, I was thinking about the carping spirit. And Swami Kriyananda says here in the, his explanation that having a carping spirit keeps you in a state of forever indecision and, and keeps you in constant confusion and doubts and you never know what to choose in life because there is a tendency in each one of us to see the fault to to doubt about that particular thing that we are entangled with in that specific situation and we start doubting and I was thinking if Krishna is saying here that he's everywhere, in everything, when we start seeing the fold, doubting, means in a sense that we are judging God's creation. We are doubting his way of putting his laws together the law of karma uh, the law of abundance the law of prosperity the law of attraction and repulsion uh, all those laws and when we start doubting seeing the 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 problem the issue why they are not perfect we are really doubting to the point that we lose faith and trust in the divine plan and God knows exactly what we need when we need it so if we start doubting his creation his his play his movie uh, the chances are that, as Shurja was saying, and as Krishna says, we are going to suffer if we don't find a way to, to trust and to follow what he has said 
into motion for each one of us to enjoy, to really enjoy life. So I think um, a very good practice this week could be to start paying attention each one of us when we come with those but or when we start seeing the fault around us in certain situations and particularly specifically in people because first step is seeing the fault in others but the problem the real problem comes when their faults affect us and we lost it there so it's going to be very important to stop the moment the thought enters into our, our mind of mm, that might be wrong mm, that could be done better mm, let me change it in this other way well and and that's when we need to you know take the ego stop the ego prevent the ego from keeping entangling himself in delusion so i would say something that is really helping me tremendously lately to see everything in my life to start having that vision that visualization that god has created this world and i have to be very careful when I start judging things that he has created, judging and doubting the people that he himself has sent into my life. And, and it will help us to start developing that intuition that comes only and only when we trust in the divine playing in the divine drama and knowing that the director knows what what he's doing and if we learn to to see the beauty behind it in fact i would say let's all take a step farther whenever we see a fault in something or in someone substitute that fault by finding two positive qualities that that person may have that that place you are living in is providing to you that that visual image is just affecting you in whatever way so for one bad or for one fall that you see in something someone substitute it immediately for two qualities for two positive aspects that that person has that that place is providing you that that project is bringing into your life and and start reinforcing the positive positive side of your soul <laughs>